Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. Page 538, although the essence of Hashem, the essence of Hashem, is not affected, is not excited or impressed by light, by the light, by um, spirituality, by... Just like he's not impressed by ego, the opposite of light, darkness. He's not impressed by light, he's not impressed by darkness. He doesn't get excited. Spirituality versus ego are opposites. A person who is a kind, loving person, it bothers him. It bothers him when he sees selfishness, self-centeredness, self-absorption. It bothers him. It's a, it's, he's in opposition. A person who's even less egotistical, because the more light you have, the person who's in tune with his intellect, intellect, the intellectual ability, is the ability to totally step back, to totally rise above yourself, to see something honestly, objectively, step out outside and see things clearly. That's really going beyond your ego. So a person who's intellectual, it bothers him. When someone is so narrow-minded and someone is so is not open to change and not open to truth and not open is just very selfish, self-centered, it bothers him. So light and darkness are opposites. So you have the world of light, the world of spiritual worlds, and then you have this physical material world. And the two shall not meet. In the world of the neshamot, the world of the angels, and the world of the souls, and the, the spiritual realms, it's a whole different world. We're totally unaware of that world. Because our world is a very dense, dark, egotistical, materialistic world, and it, it actually blocks out that whole world. It contradicts that whole world. We are the world of ego and arrogance, and that whole world of the sublime spiritual realm of angels and spirituality is totally beyond us. But God's essence, God is not impressed with light. He's not impressed with the infinite. He's not impressed with spirituality. It means nothing to him. The light is just as distant from God as the darkness. Just like the light from the sun is not the sun. Is the sun impressed by its light? Does it make a difference to the sun if there is light, there is no light? It makes absolutely no difference. Totally unaffected by the light. So too, the whole, all the spiritual realms, God remains completely unaffected, unmoved, untouched. So just like God doesn't get excited by light, He doesn't either get excited by darkness. Our darkness doesn't turn Him off. 
the fact that we're materialistic and we're dense and we're doesn't bother him. And therefore, only God, only his essence, is able to be manifest and reveal himself in this material world. In this world of pure being. A world that has no light, a world that just exists. Without any source, without any rhyme, without any reason. I am ego, pure ego. Why do I exist? I don't know. I don't care. I don't, need, I don't need any justification. I don't need a rhyme. I don't need a reason. I am. And it feels natural and it feels very comfortable. This is the world where God's essence is revealed. Because God is the ultimate I am. God is the ultimate ego. There is nothing else. All there is is God. God doesn't need a... God is. So therefore, not only isn't God not excited, doesn't he get excited by our denseness and our darkness, on the contrary, the denser it is, the more of a vehicle it is to the essence of God. And that's why all the mitzvot have to be physical, action. The lowest, the physical, the hands, the action, the touch, the sense of touch, the lowest of all, the most materialistic. All of the mitzvot, even the spiritual mitzvot, like prayer, must engage your body. You have to move your lips. In Judaism, if you just think the prayer and you don't move your lips, you haven't fulfilled the mitzvah of prayer. Why do you have to move your lips? Close your eyes, meditate, love, feel. No, you have to physically do the mitzvah. Because this is the whole purpose. The whole purpose isn't the light the spirituality, the love, the philosophy, the meditation, the higher levels of consciousness, that's nothing to God. It's Where's the essence of God revealed? Where do you capture God's essence? Where do you touch God's essence? Only through the sense of touch in the physical and the material in the lowest. This is where God's essence is fully revealed. When you do a mitzvah, you're making, you're bringing down God's essence into this world. You are making a home for God, where God's essence is fully revealed. So only God, who's, because he doesn't get excited about the light, and so too he does, he's not turned off by the darkness. It's equal to him. The light, the dark, the, the infinite, the, the finite, it's all the same thing. Because it's all the same thing, that's why God could combine the infinite with the finite, the spiritual with the material. And therefore, this is where God's essence is revealed, in this physical material. So the question is, so where does, where does this whole spiritual world fit in? I mean, God created the heavens, and He created angels, and He created souls. And before the soul was born, before the soul came into this world, the soul existed in the spiritual realm. And after, after we pass away, after 120 years, the soul goes back to heaven. So there is this whole reality of soul, spirituality, this whole sublime world. Why did God create this world? It obviously has a reason, it has a purpose. If it's incidental to God and it means nothing to God and God doesn't, doesn't get excited about it. And the only thing that, that, so to speak, gets God excited is this physical material world. This is where God's essence is revealed. So why did he create this whole world of souls and angels and spirituality? And not only that, this is the reward. If a person follows the Torah and does the mitzvot, what is his reward? That the soul goes to paradise. So this is an important part that the soul, the spirituality, that realm is a reward for our life and for our mitzvot in this world. How could that be a reward for our mitzvot in this world? How could spirituality be a reward 
for mitzvot, when through a mitzvah you're touching God's essence. And in relation to God's essence, the whole spiritual realm is meaningless. How could that be a reward when the mitzvah itself is much greater than the whole spiritual realm, higher levels of consciousness? And yet God created it, and it's a reward. And this is what he's trying to explain in this chapter, that if God's essence had to remain concealed, because since God is totally beyond light, revelation, expression. God is because He is. And the only place that that could be revealed is in this world, the world of ego, which also is because I am because I am. So this is the only world that can express God's being, God's essence. But if God would remain limited, that He cannot reveal Himself, that would be a limitation in God. God is so undefined that He can also be revealed. His essence could be revealed. And that's why He created the whole world, the whole realm of revelation, of light of revelation. Because He wanted His essence to be revealed. So the world of spirituality is not an end in itself. That's the problem with Kabbalah. People get lost in Kabbalah, that they divorce and they detach Kabbalah from mitzvot. As if, God forbid, Kabbalah is something in itself. Kabbalah in itself is nothing. Zilch. Zero. Absolutely meaningless. It's only when it's in the context of Torah and mitzvot. When you do the mitzvah and you do it with passion, with love, with awareness, with mystical feelings, that's what God wanted. God wanted that the home that we make for Him should be an illuminated home, a bright home, a warm home, a welcoming home. So therefore, the more refined you are and the less egotistical you are and the more, the, the more egoless you are, the, more, the, the warmer you are, then that's the home that God wanted. God wanted a, not a loveless marriage. He wanted a marriage, a love, was filled with love. You walk into the house, you can feel this marriage is filled with love and with, with feeling and with sensitivity. So God also wanted us. We're married to God. We're doing the mitzvot. But he didn't want us to do the mitzvah cold-bloodedly and just doing it by rote, mechanically, doing the obligation. He wanted us to feel we should love Hashem. We should think about Hashem. We should understand Godliness. It should grip our minds. It should engage our minds. It should engage our heart engage our being and then God's essence is revealed then he's at home but the home is lit up it's warm it's lit up it's welcoming that's what God wants and that is the ultimate purpose of the whole realm of heaven and angels and spirituality and high levels of consciousness and intellect and emotion not God forbid as an end in itself no But he wanted us to invest all of these assets, all of these abilities, the infinite and the light and the refinement and egolessness into our spiritual, into our mitzvot. Otherwise you have romance. All you have is love. Without marriage you have nothing. But when you have 
marriage, and that, but that marriage is based on love and deep feelings and profound feelings and profound meetings of the mind and connection and sense of connection, then it becomes, that's the marriage that God wanted. He wanted it 100%. He wanted us fully invested. And that's why the Garden of Eden is a, is a reward for the mitzvah. Because when you do a mitzvah, and you do the mitzvah properly with a sense of egolessness, a sense of self-nullification, with a sensitivity, a spirituality, a, a connection, sense of connection, a sense of awareness, a sense of love, then the mitzvah comes alive. And therefore, also, you've revealed godliness in your soul, and your soul will be elevated after 120 years. Your soul will sense godliness. That's its reward, that it derives pleasure. It derives pleasure. It has an understanding, a deep understanding, a spiritual understanding of godliness. And this comes about by doing the mitzvah and doing the mitzvah with feeling, doing the mitzvah with understanding, with kavana, with intent. Otherwise, as Alter Rebbe once said, there are souls who are in Ganeid in the Garden of Eden 500 years and have no clue about godliness. <laughs> They're in the Garden of Eden 500 years and they have no, un, no clue of godliness. Because spirituality could be the ultimate ego trip. What does God have to do with anything? God, what can you do for me today? Not about godliness, it's about me. A spiritual ego. It's not a physical, material ego. It's a spiritual ego. Okay, instead of going to a physical Disneyland, I'm going to a spiritual Disneyland. <laughs> but it's all about me. It's not about that God. I'm not even thinking about God. I don't even know about God. I'm not even aware of God. But when you do the mitzvah, and the mitzvah is, is, is permeated with a feeling for Hashem, a passionate love for God, a genuine love for God, and it's permeated on a deeper level with a deep understanding of God. We're in a deeper level, as we're going to learn soon, with a sense of connection to Godliness, a mystical connection to Godliness. Then the mitzvah comes alive. The mitzvah, the physical mitzvah that you're doing, when you're moving your lips and you're praying and you're doing the physical mitzvah, it comes alive. And then your soul soars. And then you sense Godliness. The Godliness is illuminated. Penetrates, it illuminates it's not hidden. It doesn't remain hidden and concealed. So it's not only that you have God's being, God's essence, but you also have His being and essence revealed, fully revealed. And that's what God wanted. And that's why the Talmud says, if you do a mitzvah without feeling, without kavana, without intent, it's like a body without a soul. It's soulless. It's dead. Yes, you're doing the mitzvah. You have the body. You have the main thing. But that's not what God wanted. Because God did create the world of angels. So you can't just ignore that whole world and say, what do I care? I'm getting the job done. I'm unrefined. So what? Have horrible characteristic traits. So what? I'm egotistical. So what? I'm only thinking about myself. I have no kavan. I'm not thinking about God. I don't love God. And I'm not, I don't have no understanding of God. And I have no connection to God. What's the difference? I'm doing the right thing. I'm getting the job done. I, myself, I could be coarse. I could be uncouth. Who cares? No. God created the world of angels. 
And he created the world of souls, and he created the whole world of higher levels of consciousness, of spirituality, of passion, of awareness. You can't just ignore that whole thing. There's a reason why God created that world. Yes, God doesn't get excited about lighting, doesn't get excited about, about the self-nullification. I said earlier, because no matter how egoless you're going to become, you can meditate for a thousand years in this world, no matter how egoless you're going to become, you won't even come close to the level of egolessness that your soul experienced before you were born. So why did your soul have to come into this world? If that, that's surely not the purpose. The purpose of your coming into this world was not to become high levels of consciousness and egolessness because even the highest level that you'll achieve, the peak that you'll achieve, the tzaddik gomer, the complete tzaddik of the tanya, it's nothing. It's almost like a, a, a caricature of the way the soul was before the soul came into this world. So what's the point? You might as well quit while you're behind because it's a downgrade. It's a downgrade. The highest level you'll achieve is a downgrade, not an upgrade. So that's surely not the purpose. And that's surely not the purpose why God created the world. Because to God, it's, 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 it's nothing. God doesn't get excited about it. I think he's excited about your bitl, about yourself. And all the game. What difference does it make? Light, infinite, not, nothing. It means nothing. To the sun, the light means nothing. doesn't get excited about it. It's not what God, what God gets excited. God gets excited about the mitzvah. That's the only thing he gets excited about. Nothing else excites him. You do the mitzvah, I'm, he, God is excited. You don't do the mitzvah, you can meditate from today till tomorrow. God couldn't care less. It means absolutely nothing. But part of God's excitement is, God says, do the mitzvah. But do the mitzvah like a mensch. Do the mitzvah with intent. Have me in mind when you do the mitzvah. Think about me. Love me. Be aware of me. Have a feeling of connection to me. Bring godliness into your life. Be godly. Not only do godly. Feel godly. Think godly. Act godly. And your whole being should become permeated with godliness. That's what God... That gives God the ultimate pleasure. So, of course, if you have a choice between just intent, just spirituality, or just the mitzvah, which one would you choose? Clearly the mitzvah. And just spirituality means nothing. The mitzvah, the bottom line is, you've got the deed done, the, done, the deed is done, you're here, you're in. You made the plane, you're on the train, you're here. But don't sit in fourth class. <laughs> <laughs> you're already on the train. Do the mitzvah like a man. Do the mitzvah with heart, with soul, with pleasure. Feel it, mean it, love it, be inspired by it, be changed by it, be moved by it, open, be open to change, be open to grow. Become a little less egotistical, become a little more egoless, become deeper, higher, broader. That's what God wants. So God wants the whole thing, the full package. Don't, don't, don't do anything half-hearted. You do it, do it 100%. With every fiber of your being, every bone in your body. That gives God the ultimate simch. And that's why, that's a reward when a Jew does a mitzvah. And he does the mitzvah with intent. Depending on the level of his intent, that's where his soul goes after 120 years. If he did the mitzvah just based on the natural love that every Jew has, every Jew is born with, with a love to God because we're Jewish and therefore we just have an innate natural love that we inherited from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. Fine, so then your soul is elevated to the world of formation after 120 years. But if you did the mitzvah with something deeper than that, a deeper intent, your mind had a deep understanding and appreciation for godliness. You thought about God, and you tried to understand godliness as best as possible. And you did the mitzvah with that understanding, with that intent, and you invested that intent into the mitzvah, 
then after 120 years, your soul is elevated to the world of creation, which is the world of pure intellect. And every day your soul will go from level, strength to strength, from one level to a higher level, with a deeper understanding, which gives you more pleasure and more pleasure. And um, this is the result of the mitzvah. The reward of the mitzvah is the mitzvah itself. Because the mitzvah, the, the understanding that you get for godliness is derived from the mitzvah. Since you've done something godly, and you've done it with intent, with kavana, your mind was totally focused on the mitzvah, and what you're doing, and the godliness of the mitzvah. Therefore, the reward will also be that the mitzvah is elevated, your soul is elevated, and after, after 120 years, you will enter the realm of pure intellect. And your, the, the soul will bask and delight in pure pleasure. Every day you'll have a new insight in godliness, a deeper understanding of godliness, a new understanding of godliness, and even a deeper understanding of godliness. And it's infinite. God is infinite. So every day the soul can, could, could discover something new and a deeper understanding, a deeper insight, which gives the soul such ecstasy, such pleasure... Nothing in this world could possibly even compare to the pleasure and the bliss that the soul will experience after 120 years, every day growing and learning something new and understanding something new, and which brings a new pleasure, a new level of pleasure of godliness. And this becomes a life of the soul, life, the other life, the other world, life after life. The real life, where the soul really delights and finds real pleasure. But that's just a temporary parking place. The soul is temporary parked in heaven. What's the ultimate reward? The ultimate reward is Tchiat HaMesim, the resurrection of the dead. After Mashiach comes, after Mashiach comes, all the souls that are parked in heaven for thousands of years can't wait to come back in a bodily form. Because ultimately, this is the rendezvous. This is the place where, the, where we come face to face with the essence of God. Not the heavens and not the heaven of heavens, not the realm of spirituality, even the highest levels of consciousness. The ultimate essence of God, the being of God, and the very essence of God is revealed ultimately in this material world. This is where God feels at home. This is where God's essence is fully, will be fully revealed and manifest when Mashiach will come. And how, how does this happen? We make it happen today. Today. Every time we do a mitzvah, every time we study Torah, we take our hands and do a mitzvah, move our lips and read the words of prayer and do a mitzvah and we study the words of Torah by moving our lips. Every time we do something physical and we're doing a mitzvah, we're taking another portion of this physical world and we're transforming it into something divine, into godly. We're drawing down God's essence into this world. Now it's hidden. Now we don't see it. We don't sense it. Mashiach will come. When every last Jew all over the world will be finished elevating his or her portion of this world then collectively we'll have elevated the whole world. And today, Jews are literally in every corner of the world. Judaism is flourishing. You have 3,600 Chabad houses like this, literally in every corner of the world, homegrown communities. So Judaism is flourishing literally in every corner of the world. So now, all the bases are loaded. We're in the ninth inning. We've already, mission accomplished. We've already elevated and every individual Jew and all the Jews collectively and throughout all the generations have already elevated every portion of society, every portion of this world. And now we're just waiting for that critical mass, that moment, that split second, that moment when it'll all come together and like the light switch will go on and suddenly we'll sense godliness. This world will become a paradise because you'll feel the essence of God. You walk down the streets, you'll sense holiness. 
and godliness and truth and the world will become transparent. So this is all a result of our actions. So Mashiach is a very activist program. It's a program that we all roll up our sleeves, every one of us, and we're all making it happen. I mean, every time you light a Shabbos candle, and every time you put on tefillin, and every time you do a mitzvah, you are making it happen. You are transforming. You're creating the ultimate miracle. You're transforming something material and dense and coarse, transforming it into something else entirely, something divine and sacred and holy, God's essence. But how do we, but Mashiach, Mashiach will come, God's essence will be revealed. So in order for God's essence to be revealed, we have to do the mitzvah also in a revealed way. Not just do the mitzvah, the act itself, but we have to do the mitzvah with a sense of spirituality, a sense of intent, kavana, with love, with awareness, with a sense of connection, mystical connection. And then the, God's essence will be manifest. And that's why Hasidus, Hasidus came right before the coming of Mashiach. Hashem revealed to us these teachings, the Tanya and the Bashemtev, and the Tanya will explain, articulated the philosophy of the Bashemtev, firstly revealing to us how the whole purpose is the mitzvah, and how important the mitzvah is, the action, the deed is, and what's really happening when we do the mitzvah, and how every time we do a mitzvah we're bringing Mashiach, it's another brick in the, in the temple. And also, they teach us that we have to, God wants it to be a, an illuminated home, a warm home. So it's not enough just to do the mitzvah, but we have to become more spiritual. We have to become better people, finer people, less egotistical, less arrogant, less selfish, less self-centered, less self-absorbed. Become a little more godly, a little more fine-tuned, polished a little. Polish our egos, our rough egos, become a little better people, deeper people, more genuine, more authentic, more sincere, more wholehearted, more aware, more connected, consciously connected. So this is our challenge. It's a full challenge to do the deed and also to become spiritual at the same time. So we learn, we're in the bottom page 538. In general, we're learning that the souls are superior and the angels, because angels in general reside in the world of formation, which is the world of emotions. That's where you have the angel of Gavriel, the angel Michal, the angel Raphael, the angel Michal is love, the angel of love. The angel of Gavriel is the angel of awe, of fear. Every angel embodies another variation of his emotion. There's infinite ways of awe, and there's infinite types of loves, and there's infinite types of mercy and compassion, angel of fault. But the souls in general come from the world of intellect, and the Shama. They understand God. Even those, soul, those angels that are from the world of creation, which is the world of intellect, but nevertheless, the angels in general come from the external part of the world, Chitzoniyut. The neshama, the soul, comes from a much deeper place. comes from God's thought, while the angel comes from God's speech. Thought is much deeper than speech. So the angels come from a much deeper place, the souls come from a much deeper place than the angels. So the soul, the understanding of the soul, of godliness, is also a much deeper understanding. But he says, in general, this, these are the souls of, the, of a tzaddikim, of a tzaddik. 
the souls of a tzaddik, a tzaddik has a deep understanding of godliness, a real understanding of godliness. He has a clear mind. He, he, see th- he understands things very clearly. We don't have that clarity. We don't have that same clarity. To us, our connection to God, our intent is more instinctive, like the animal, like the angels. It's more instinctive. It's a natural love because we're Jewish and we have a natural love. A Jew gets excited about godly things. He can't even explain it himself. When a Jew sees something godly, he gets all excited. Why? I don't know why. But because we have a godly soul and it's natural to us. We just respond to it. A Jew responds to godliness. When he sees a miracle, he gets all excited. Even something that, that maybe you can explain as something natural. No, a Jew will always find a miracle. Even though it's natural, a Jew will always find a miracle. The mail came on time today. What a miracle. <laughs> a Jew will find the miraculous in everything. Everything is a miracle. Versus someone who's not even a miracle. Ah, it's no, no big deal. It's nature. He has a natural explanation for everything. He doesn't get excited about anything. Everything is natural. High tide, low tide. A Jew is the opposite because we naturally respond to godliness because that's our nature. So you can go through your whole life and your intent is based on your instinct, on your na- natural love for God. So those souls, which is the majority of us, have the potential to be elevated to the world of formation, not the world of creation. Except the souls of the tzaddik, the souls of the tzaddik, his soul resides and is elevated to the world of creation where God's pure intellect is revealed. And they have a deep understanding and a clear understanding of God. However, then he says it's even more than that. Because every soul is made up of many parts. There are five names to the soul. The soul has five names. Nefesh. Ruach. Very good. Neshama. Chaya and Yechida. Nefesh. What does Nefesh represent? Nefesh represents... Nefesh is the action. No, nefesh is the action. The simplest. The lowest level. Nefesh is the action. Nefesh is thought, speech, and action. Ruach is the heart. Nishama is understanding, your mind. Nishmast shakai tvinem, understanding. That's nishama. Chaya is the mystical. Kabbalah, the mystical. That's the world of Atzilut, which we're going to learn soon. And Yechida, that's the Jewish, the Pintalayid, the Jewish spark that we always discuss. It's unique. That's, the, that's what makes us Jewish. That, that spark, the divine spark, the Yechida. The ability to self-sacrifice us that every Jew has. That's the Yechida. So within the soul of the tzaddik, you have different levels. You have the nefesh of the tzaddik. You have the ruach of the tzaddik. And then you have the neshama of the tzaddik. So when we say that the neshama belongs and resides and lives in the world of Berea, the world of intellect, it's not the whole soul of the tzaddik. It's the soul of the tzaddik, the level of the neshama within the tzaddik. The lower levels reside in the lower world. The Ruach of the Tzaddik resides in the world of Yitzirah, a formation. The Nefesh of the Tzaddik resides in this world. The Neshama of the Tzaddik is elevated to the world of Bria. So even within the Tzaddik itself, you have different levels. So it's the Neshama of the Neshama. That's, that's that part is elevated to the world, the last paragraph on the bottom, page 538. However, this statement that the abode of Tzaddikim who serve Hashem with intellectual love and fear, is in the world of Berea, 
applies only to those souls which are actually on a level of neshama. The level of neshama being that of intellect, as the verse states, the divine neshama will give them this concernment, and which represents the superior intellectual perception of the blessed Ein Sof. But the tzaddikim who are at the level of ruach, and similarly, all other souls of Israel who serve Hashem with the natural fear and love hidden in the heart of all Israel, not with love and fear born of intellect, ascend thereto to Berea only on Shabbat and the new moon, when all creation ascends to a higher level as it is written every month on the new moon and every week on the Shabbat, all flesh will come to prostrate themselves before me, says Hashem. It is only then that these souls ascend to the world of Berea, the higher garden of Eden. Although in general the souls reside in the world of formation, in the world of emotion, because their whole basis for serving Hashem was based on emotion and instinct, that's what they invested in the mitzvah, therefore the mitzvah and the souls are only elevated to the world of formation. But nevertheless... On Shabbat and Rosh Chodesh, every soul gets an upgrade. All those souls in the world of formation are upgraded to the world of creation. How do they get this upgrade? He's going to say, through the elevator. The pillar, yeah, by means of? By means of the pillar that extends from the lower Garden of Eden, Yesira, to the higher Garden of Eden, the world of Berea, which is called the higher Garden of Eden. In general, it says before a soul is elevated to a higher level, it has to go through two processes. One is, it has to dip itself in the, in the, the river, a river, Nahar Dinor, to forget its previous experiences. And then, by way of the pillar, it's able to go up to a higher level. It's like the, the Talmud says that Rabbi Zaira lived in Babylonia. And he was a master scholar of the Babylonian Talmud. When he moved to Israel, he fasted, the hundred fast, that he should forget the Babylonian Talmud. In order that he should be able to adopt the new way of learning, which is the Jerusalem Talmud, which is a much deeper way of learning, a much, a much clearer way of learning. So he had to forget the previous way of learning in order to enable him to be able to learn the new way, because otherwise it would disturb him. In other words, when you go from one level to the other, when you grow, if you're going gradually, so one step leads to the next step. One step appears you for the next step, which leads you to the next step, and you can grow all your life. You can go from one step to step to step and keep on growing higher. But what if you want to take a leap? We're not talking about a step. This is like taking an elevator, a quantum leap. What? Oh, so how do you do it? You can't just... So the previous level is going to drag you down. Because if you're still going to remember your old way of thinking... You're not, you're not open up, you're not open to learn a whole new way of thinking. So you have to forget the old way of thinking. And that enabled him to be able to leap to a whole new way of thinking. That's tricky, though. Yeah. And that's why the soul, when the soul, let's say the soul, when the soul comes to, get, in order to get into the Garden of Eden, has to go through the river to forget all the old memories. 
And then he also has to go through this, this uh, pillar, this elevator to reach the higher level. If that's true in our world, how much more so in Gan Eden? To get from one level to the next, to make a leap. We're not talking about a, a regular step-by-step. To go from the world of formation to a different world, the world of creation, it's a leap. You can't just, you can't just climb a step. You have, to, you have to take like an elevator to a different floor, to the skyscraper. It's a whole new leap. So the soul has to go through this process. The soul has to go through this amud. And when the soul goes through this amud, then it's able to, it's able to uh, reach this new level. It has to forget. It has to forget everything from its previous. It says before the soul goes into the Ganeden, it has to forget everything from this world. Because if you still remember Chinese restaurants, and you still remember everything from this physical world, you can't, yeah, after 120 years, if you still have memories of this You're world. Are you talking about reverse, like the, uh, coming back? Life, no, no, like no, 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 I'm talking about the going to Gan Eden, after this the life. Like to go from the, the when the soul leaves this world and goes to the Garden of Eden. So the soul, if the soul remembers the physical world, it'll get in the way. It, it can't enter into a pure spiritual realm, it'll interfere. It has to forget it. That's why it has to dip into the, into the river. And then it has to go up the elevator. The Amud, the, the beam. Top of page 540, continue. By means of this pillars, the souls ascend there to delight in Hashem and to bask in the radiance of the Shekhinah. Such pleasure is the prerogative of the souls in Berea. Since the soul's delight is from its understanding and appreciation of godliness, to the extent that a soul is capable of such understanding. The intellect of a created being delights and derives pleasure only in that which it conceives, understands, knows, and grasps with its intellect and understanding. As much as it can grasp of the blessed Ein Sof light through his wisdom and his understanding which radiates there, enabling the soul to perceive godliness. For as mentioned earlier, the Sabad of Atzilus, which the Alter Rebbe refers as his wisdom, his understanding, radiate in Berea, for which reason Berea is the world of understanding. With this, the Alter Rebbe concludes his statement that on Shabbat and Rosh Hashanah, the souls of other Jews who had not served Hashem with intellectual love and fear ascend to Berea. There is a pleasure in the world of formation, which is the pleasure of pure emotion, deep emotion. But you can't compare the pleasure of emotions to the pleasure of intellect. When you understand something, and you understand something very well, you can't compare. The, the pleasure is so much deeper, so much more profound than the pleasure of someone who loves to love or love to give. You can't compare the emotion. So... You can't compare the pleasure. So on Shabbos and on Rosh Chodesh, every Jew is elevated. All the souls who are in the world of formation get an upgrade for Shabbos. They go to the hotel for Shabbos and for Rosh Chodesh. They're upgraded to the world of... They're boosted up to the world of creation. And over there, they have a deep understanding of godliness, which gives them tremendous bliss, ecstasy, pleasure, indescribable pleasure. Now, the Alter Rebbe is going to explain why is it, how is it, why is it that only the souls get this elevation? Angels never get this elevation. Angels, in the world of formation, remain in the world of formation. 
So why is it so? Why do, why do souls merit that every Shabbat and every Rosh Chodesh they get an elevation all the way up to the world of creation? Why is that? Yeah, these souls. Who serve the Hashem with natural love and fear are privileged to rise occasionally to Bria, higher than the angel, whose abode is in Yitzira, as mentioned above, never rising to Bria, although they too, like the angels, serve Hashem only with natural fear and love. Why then is their service of Hashem considered superior to that of the angels? Because through their fear and love, the sitra clothed in their body is subdued. Whether in the case of fear, in the realm of turning away from evil, refraining from doing evil and thereby conquering and crushing their desire through not giving the illicit desire expression in thought, speech, and action, or whether in the case of love, subduing the sitra in the realm of doing good, as mentioned above, I actively pursuing the observance of mitzvot out of love for Hashem, despite the contrary desire of the animal soul, which is rooted in the sitra so the reason why the souls are rewarded and the souls of formation who serve God with just a natural, instinctive love, why do they get rewarded that they're elevated to the world of creation where they experience pure understanding and pure intellect and the great pleasure that it gives them? It's because a soul is superior to an angel because a soul, it did not come natural to the soul. The soul had to overcome his natural ability. While the truth is that we are nullified before God. The truth is, just like the body is completely nullified to its soul, right? Body, you don't feel your body, your soul is in control of your body. The truth is, this world is completely nullified to God. But no one's going to give a medal to the body when the body listens to the soul. When you want to move your hand and the body moves, you're not going to reward the hand. You know, you're a good hand, you're religious. You're, you're pious, you're a tzaddik, you're a saint. Look, you're listening. You wanted to move your hand. You didn't, you didn't offer any resistance. You didn't fight. You didn't argue. You did. You obeyed. Who, of course, of course, the hand. Well, the, hand is not, the hand doesn't have any evil inclination telling you, don't move. So although the truth is, and naturally, we should be like the hand because we are nothing to God and we're completely, God is completely in charge and control and we shouldn't even feel ourselves. We shouldn't even sense a sense of I. It should be all there is is God and we automatically should respond to God. But it doesn't work that way. God has to command us. Why does He have to command us? And we get rewarded if we listen to Him. And He's excited that we listen to Him. We don't get excited when the body listens to the soul, but we get excited when we listen to God, even though we are like a body to, to, to God who is a soul. Because we have an evil inclination. It doesn't feel so natural. Our Yetzirah, our evil inclination, says, don't do it. It feels so natural, feels so comfortable. Just eat the drunk food, do the drunk lifestyle. Don't listen, don't do what's right. It's a struggle. Every step of the way is a struggle, it's a conflict. To do what's right, it doesn't come so natural. It's difficult. You have to overcome, you have to push, you have to, you have, to have the wisdom, you have to choose, you have to make a decision, you have to be strong. So therefore... For, since for us to do the right thing is such a struggle, and we have to overcome our natural tendencies to do it, in order to do it, therefore our reward is that the souls, that the soul reaches a much higher place than the angels. Even though the motivation of the soul is the same as the angels, it's natural, it's instinctive, because we have a Jewish soul and we have a natural connection to God, a natural instinctive 
pull to God. And therefore, we control ourselves. We're Jewish. We're going to act Jewish. We're going to do the right thing. We're not going to tell any lies. We're going to be honest. We're going to do the right thing. Even though we're tempted to do the wrong thing, but we're going to overcome that temptation. We're going to do the right thing. We're going to find that strength, the discipline to do, the, to do what Hashem wants us to do. But because it's a struggle, and angels don't have to struggle, and we do have to struggle, therefore we are rewarded that the soul goes to a much deeper place than the angel. And especially since we're doing it, we're choosing, meaning that there's intellect involved, there's an awareness involved. We're not just doing it naturally, instinctively, because we have to overcome our natural instinct to do something wrong. So therefore we made a choice, we made an intellectual choice. When you do a right thing, when you have the opportunity to do a wrong thing and you do the right thing, you know, a thief who doesn't have the opportunity to steal thinks that he's honest. That's not, that's not the definition of an honest person. An honest person is someone who has the opportunity to steal, who has the opportunity to, to do a crime and get away with it, and he chooses not to. I know I can do this. I don't want to live that type of life. I don't want to. I'm going to do the right thing. So it's an intellectual choice. You made a choice. You had the wisdom. You had the courage and the wisdom to choose. I can go here, I can go there, but I choose to do the right thing. And because you made that choice and because it's, it's an intellectual idea, um, therefore the soul could be elevated to the world of creation. Because the world of creation is the world of the mind, and every time you make a choice, it's really a choice of the mind. It's wisdom. You made a choice. You, had, you can go this way, you can go that direction, and you made a decision, I'm going to do the right thing. You made a decision that I am like a body and God is my soul, and therefore I'm going to do the right thing. The body should listen to the soul. The soul should be in charge. Instead of following my other nature, my other urge, my other instinct, my materialistic urge and instinct, my yetzahara, my evil inclination, instant gratification, fun, junk, lifestyle, I choose to do the right thing. To listen to, to do the godly thing, to listen to my soul, and God is my soul, I'm his body. So this, took, this takes wisdom. To make that choice and to understand that choice, to understand the wisdom of it, that takes wisdom. So therefore, a human being automatically is superior to an angel. Because every choice that we make involves the mind. It's not just the heart, it's not just instinct. We're not like animals, we just do instinct. Because it's not instinctive for us. To follow God is not instinctive. On the contrary. Instinctively, we have urges and instincts, materialistic urges, materialistic instincts that pull us in the other direction. So it, takes, it makes a choice, it takes courage, it takes a, a, a certain wisdom to be able to choose the right thing. So because the person, our choices involve wisdom, involve the mind, therefore our choices are superior to an angel. So when we do Torah and mitzvot, we get the reward that at least on Shabbat, at least on Rosh Chodesh, even those souls who are in the garden, the lower garden of Eden, in the world of formation, which is basically the emotional world, because all their life they worship God based on instinct, because we're Jewish and we have a natural instinctive connection to God. But nevertheless, on Shabbos and Rosh Chodesh, we're elevated to the higher world. We take the elevator up and we're elevated to the higher world, the upgrade, the world of creation, the world, the world of pure intellect. These souls, while in the physical world, had the freedom of freedom choice. Of choice. They might have chosen evil, God forbid. Yet they chose good to subdue the sitra, so that Hashem's glory be elevated in all worlds. With an elevation similar to the superiority of light emerging from the darkness over ordinary light, as mentioned above. By dispelling the darkness of sitra, these souls added to the light of holiness. 
Thus, although these souls serve Hashem as angels do, with love and fear that are natural, not intellectual, yet their service ranks higher than that of an angel. For the soul acts out of free choice, while the angel is a creature of compulsive instincts, albeit holy instincts. Therefore, it is occasionally granted to the soul, unlike the angel, to rise to the higher garden of Eden in Bria. In the following paragraph, the Alter Rebbe will differentiate between the respective states of the souls on the one hand and of the divine service, i.e., the actual Torah and mitzvah that the soul studies and observes. Okay, so yeah, he says that a person, quotes a person, has freedom of choice, and they chose to do the right thing. So they break the sitrachas. We learned earlier that when a person breaks his nature, breaks the ego nature, breaks the instinctive materialist nature, and he overcomes the darkness, and he overcomes the distraction, and the urges and the, and the temptations, you draw down God's light into this world, a much greater light a much greater light than was previously manifest. Like the light that comes out of the darkness. It's a superior light. Not only you appreciate the light that comes when there's darkness, but the light that penetrates the darkness, the light is a, is a superior light. So the light, the pleasure that you give God by overcoming, the, the darkness is a much deeper light because it's a personal thing. When you program, it's not personal. It's almost like a machine. Angels are programmed. It's like a machine. It's predictable. It's programmable. It's no, there's no, nothing personal. A human being has a conscience. The conscience talks face-to-face to God, with God. It's like person-to-person with God. Because when you make a choice, when you have to overcome your desire, your urge, your instinct, your natural instinct, it, 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 it's personal. You're not just doing it because you're programmed. You follow your nature, you're just programmed. Following your nature. You can't help yourself. Animals, angels, it's predictable. All the laws of the universe are predictable. Everything is predictable, except the human being. A human being can make a quantum leap. A human being is unpredictable. I don't know what the outcome is. It can be this, it can be that. I can go either way. I can choose, I can overcome, I can rise above, I can succumb, I can surrender, I can, I can be victorious. That's what makes it so exciting. I don't know what's going to be. You have freedom of choice. God gave us freedom of choice. And when you make that choice, it's personal. It's the conscious. It's like you're talking to God. I'm doing this for you. I'm not doing this for anyone else. It's for you. So this is where you're really touching God. This is where, this is where you're connecting with God. Because at the end of the day, the whole universe dissolves. All that exists is God. There's you and God. Nothing else that really exists. It's your conscious and God. The whole universe is just a bureaucracy, but if you look beyond it, all there is is God. It's personal. The whole essence of Judaism is the belief in the personal God. The fact that you have to make a choice, it comes down to a personal statement and a personal choice. God, I'm doing this because I love you and it's for you. Why should I overcome my urge and my instinct? It's it's tempting. I would rather do this, but I'm going to do the right thing because you asked me to, because you told me to. I'm doing this for you, for no one else. It's so personal. It's intimate. This is a marriage. This is real. So that touches God. So the light that you're drawing down, you're touching God in such a deep place. 
The angels can never touch God in that place. The angels are programmed. They're, they're predictable. It's all very superficial to God. But a person, this is real. This you strip away the whole bureaucracy of the universe and the rules and the laws of the universe. It's soul to soul. It's my, my soul to God. My consciousness to God. So a human being has a consciousness. A human being has a soul. A human being has a piece of God. Because we have freedom of choice. Only God has freedom of choice. And he gave us that gift. It's personal. It's person to person. And because you made that personal choice, you overcame that darkness, you overcame that instinct. Therefore the light is so much deeper, so much superior. It touches God in such a deep place. This is the superiority of light, that God's, that light that you generate is much more, transcends all the light that exists in the universe prior to and therefore, that elevates you. That's why you reward it. The reward is a, is a reflection of what you're doing, what you're accomplishing. Since you've dug very deep inside of yourself, and you've touched something very personal, very real, and you've touched God in person, so to speak, person to person, collect call, person to person, <laughs> person to person connection. So therefore, the reward is also reflecting that, that the soul is elevated to a much higher level then the soul would be otherwise, naturally. Even though what gave you the strength, only because it's natural. You have a natural connection to God, an instinctive connection to God, like, a, like, the, like the, an animal instinctive connection like the angels. But nevertheless, you can't compare a human to an angel. A human is real. It's personal. Beyond rules, laws, existence, it's, 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 it's you and God. And that's the reward. On Shabbos, on Rishchidosh, the soul is elevated to a whole, a whole different dimension, a whole different world. Is he going to explain why on Shabbos and what's called? Why only on Shabbos and Rishchidosh? I mean, Shabbos is a, Shabbos, you know, he's talking Shabbos. Shabbos is a holy day in Rishchidosh. Shabbos, the whole world is elevated. The whole world is elevated. Every world is elevated on Shabbos. Shabbos, we are elevated. Suddenly we can't work. But yesterday was a mitzvah, now becomes forbidden. Because we've been elevated to a higher form. It's like um, when you're standing in front of the king... You have to pay attention to the king. Yeah, if you yeah. suddenly you would, you would take out your beeper, you stand in front of the king and take out your phone and take out your beeper, you, you, you would be beheaded. You're rebelling against the king. How dare you're standing in front of the king. I'm sorry, king, uh, my beeper is going off. My <laughs> when you're outside the palace, of course, your beeper and your phones can go off from today till tomorrow. You're busy. But when you're standing in the king's presence, that would be considered a rebellion. Rebellious. How dare you? You don't stand with attention, with respect. So too, a whole week, we're not in front of the king. We don't sense we're in front of the king. God is in the palace, and we're here, we're busy, we're working. Shabbos, we're all elevated. We all go to the palace. We're standing in front of Hashem. That's why if a Jew answers his phone on Shabbos, you get stoned. Skila. You desecrated Shabbos. Because God is here. You're standing in front of God, and you're answering your phone. You're mowing your lawn. You're going to the dry cleaners. The king is right in front of you. No work. No creative work. You're elevated. The whole world is elevated. Everything that happens in this world also happens in all the worlds. So all the worlds are elevated on Shabbat. So the souls or the world of formation suddenly find themselves in the world much closer to God. Much more intimate to God. They're much deeper. They feel a much greater presence of God. Because now they have a deep understanding of God. In addition to their intense emotion that they had all week, now they're elevated to a higher realm, the realm of intellect, of pure intellect, which gives them pure ecstasy. 
Shabbos is a day of ecstasy. Shabbos is a day of pleasure. And Rosh Chodesh, Rosh Chodesh is also a day when the, everything is elevated. Rosh Chodesh is the Jew is compared to the moon. The moon is the birth of the moon. It's a, it's, a special, it's a special day. It's interesting that the Greeks, what were the mitzvot that the Greeks went after that bothered them most? Shabbat, Rosh Chodesh, and Bris. Rosh Chodesh is also intellect because they were deciding it according to intellect. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's the it's the elevation of the moon of Malchut Chachma, the elevation of the moon straight to the world of of intellect, right? Without without the emotions. It was decided by the Jewish court. Right. Usually, there's a process. There's intellect, which leads to emotion, which leads to speech, which is what the moon represents. But then there is there's a time when you bypass the emotions. The intellect goes straight to the speech. That's what Rosh Chodesh represents, Kabbalistically. But the Malchut, the world of speech, gets directly, receives directly from the world of intellect without any intermediary. So it's elevated. That's why they bring the special sacrifices of Rosh Chodesh. Um, it's the head of the whole month. So, um, so on these occasions... I guess in Yom Tif also, he doesn't mention a Yom Tif. I guess Yom Tif is included in Shabbos. I don't know. Or Shabbos, is, Shabbos is pleasure. Here he's talking about it being elevated pleasure. But uh, Rosh Hashanah is also Rosh Chodesh. Okay, so now, till now, he explained the world of the, the souls, the souls. Now he's going to explain the Torah itself, the Torah and the mitzvot. Because when a Jew does Torah and mitzvot, the, the, his soul is elevated. And the Torah that you do is elevated. When you do the mitzvah with feeling, with emotion, with kavana, with intent, with sensitivity, with soul, soulfulness, with joy, with passion, with egolessness, and you're thinking about Hashem, and you're loving Hashem, and you're aware of Hashem, and your mind is gripped and engaged by Hashem, and you feel a sense of connection to Hashem, and you do the mitzvah, you invest that into the mitzvah, the mitzvot are elevated, the mitzvot soar. So he's going to explain the difference between the elevation of the soul versus the elevation of the mitzvah itself. 5.42 Although we spoke... Although we spoke of all this Svirat of each of the four worlds, it must nevertheless be understood that the Svirat of each world do not constitute that world itself. The Svirat represent rather the Hashemliness inherent in each world, its divine life force. The world itself, on the other hand, is a Yesh, a separate being, which comes about through the Svirat. The significance of this distinction with regard to our discussion is as follows. The Alter Reb spoke of the abode of the soul in either the world of Yitzirah or the world of Berdiah, depending on the level of its divine service. The emphasis here is on the word world. The soul's abode is in the world of Berdiah or Yitzirah, also described as the Hechelot, chambers of these worlds, not the spirit of these worlds. Just like this world, a world is made up of three parts. There's space, oilam, world, like a heichel, a palace, a space. 
You have the soul, the individual, and you have time. This is basically, it's called Olam Shana Nefesh. The the Kabbalists talk about the world is broken down into Olam, the space in which you move, the background, the backdrop in which the souls move in and operate in. It's the background, there's a world, a space, the palace, the soul, the consciousness, the soul, the being. And then, and then, shana, time, going through changing, changes. Within this context, the soul passes through time, through different changes. These are basically, you can break down every world. So just like this physical world, you have physical space, you have physical time, and you have the consciousness, the being. So to every world, when we talk about higher spiritual, spiritual beings, we also, they also have a world, so to speak. In the spiritual sense, there's a background in which they operate in. That's their world. Then they have time, the changes that they experience. And then they have the being itself, the consciousness, the being. The angels or whatever, or the souls. So, you have, so they are in the world of creation, or the world of formation, or the world of action. It's, so there's a world, and you can break it down. Four worlds. In four worlds. So you, you can break down, each world you can break down has a sense of time, a sense of space, and a sense of, just like we have it in the physical sense, but also in the spiritual realms, you also have a f- spiritual sense of time, spiritual sense of space, and a spiritual sense of, of being, of consciousness. It's a parallel universe. Whatever exists in this world exists in the spiritual realm. So what, if you have time in this world, you have, a, you have a higher dimension of time in the spiritual realm. You have space, you have a spiritual concept of space. Context. You know, the cause brings the effect. Two plus two is four, but it has a context. There's a space, and then, then there's everything has, then there's a sequence. Cause comes before the effect. Then you have the being, the consciousness, the angel, the spiritual being. So every world you have this, this breakdown. So the, the angels exist within that world. Then you have every world, the center of every world is really the ten spherot, the ten divine emanations, the godly spherot, which creates that world. The center, which creates that world, the, the, and that's divine. The angels and the souls are not divine, they're beings, they're spiritual beings, they're like fish swallowed up in water, but they're beings, they're not the source. Then you have the divine source, that's God. That's God's manifestation in that world. God creating that world. Where God manifests himself as the wisdom of the world of creation and the wisdom of the world of... and the understanding of the world of creation. And then and you have the wisdom and understanding and knowledge of the world of formation. You have the wisdom and understanding and knowledge of the world of action. But these spherot are divine, are godly. An angel resides in the world, but he's not divine, he's not godly. He's a separated, separate being from God. He's conscious of himself. By definition, he's a being. By definition, there's a consciousness that's separate from God. So he's not God. But he resides in this world, in the world of either in the world of formation or a higher, the souls of the tzaddikim, the righteous in the world, their neshamot are reside in the world of creation. But they're not God. Then every world also has its ten svirot. The Rebbe would always remind us that we are a unique generation. 
There's never been a generation like ours, and there never will be. We are the transitional generation, the last generation of Golas, of exile, and we will be the first generation of Geula, of redemption. What an awesome privilege we have, and what a sacred responsibility we carry on our shoulders. So what are we going to do about it? How are we going to bring the curtain down on the Golas once and for all? Well, Mashiach himself gave the secret away in his famous encounter with the Baal Shem Tev. He tells the Baal Shem Tev that when your wellsprings and the teachings of Hasidus will spread to every corner of the world, then and only then will Mashiach come. And therefore the Alter Rebbe sacrificed his life to carry out this directive to the Baal Shem Tev by writing and publishing the Tanya. And all the Rebbe's sacrificed themselves to publicize and to expound on the teachings of the Tanya. And the Rebbe, the seventh, the Shabbos of all the Rebbe's, published over 6,000 Tanyas, literally in every city of the world. And now, for the first time in history, through LessonsInTanya.com, Tanya in depth is available and accessible 24-6 to hundreds of thousands, Jews as well as non-Jews, in dozens of countries all around the world. Now that you've had the personal experience and the pleasure to study the Tanya, we ask you to please partner with us to make the entire Tanya available and easily accessible to each and every Jew and to the entire world. Please help turn the wish of Mashiach, the dream of the Alter Rebbe, and the vision of the Rebbe into a reality. On behalf of all of us here at LessonsInTanya.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. And a special thank you for the good deed that you're about to do. In honor of your tzedakah, we will merit the coming of Mashiach now when we'll learn Tanya from the Alter Rebbe himself.